Hello, and welcome to the DerivSource podcast, Living the Trade Life Cycle. I'm Julia Schieffer, the editor of DerivSource.com. We are nearing the new deadline for the T plus one transition. And as we all contend with this accelerated settlement cycle, financial institutions, both on the buy and sell side, have to contend with various operational challenges. And in this podcast today, we are going to be focusing on two specific challenges, two big ones, though. And with me today, I have Gabino Roche, CEO and founder of Sapphire. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before I get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Sapphire? Yeah, sure. In terms of me, my background is I know how to deliver products faster to market. Former McKinsey Company firm member, that's where I learned that skill. Worked at the New York Stock Exchange, worked at JP Morgan, their custody fund services business and capital markets. Then worked at a consortium with a number of other banks, which actually stumbled me into the whole Sapphire opportunity. Basically, Sapphire is market infrastructure in the cloud. Uh, we actually create memory around pre-trade data, client account data. And when you use us for that, it creates benefits for trading and post-trade. So the whole idea is if you write in pre-trade, we solve post-trade. Kind of a branding statement is we solve tomorrow's trade processing issues today. Perfect. So at the top, I talked about how we're nearing the deadline for the transition to T plus one. You go out and speak to clients all the time about this deadline, which is looming, as we mentioned. What do you find that clients feel about the deadline? Are they ready for it? I think they all think they will be ready for it. And the, the knee-jerk reaction right now is to accept that they're going to throw more labor at it. I think some firms have looked at it, especially on the buy side, that they're just shifting the hours as to when things are due by a couple of hours, right? And so we know after 4 p.m., you've got to submit your trades within three hours, right, to get them ready. And then three hours after that, you've got to get your affirmations in. And then the settlement process really gets done. I think that sounds easier than what it's going to be. And I think in the beginning, for the first couple of months, it is wise to put labor at it because you don't know what to anticipate. Part of my conversation with these clients is to stress test all these types of scenarios in advance. And maybe for a period of, you know, two months, three months, you keep the extra hands on deck and then roll them off as you get a kind of a pulse speed as to what's uh, typical. But I, I know I'm going to be revealing my hand a bit, but I think automation and technology is the thing to explore. It might just need more of a strategic lens than just throwing more bodies at something. And so would you say that that's a common misconception that you come across when you speak to firms is that perhaps they can just throw more people, extend the hours and fix all the challenges that they might come across for this deadline, as opposed to actually looking at the opportunity for an investment in automation to actually get them over the line. Yeah, I, yes. But I think it's also unfair for me to say that because a lot of the folks that we're talking to are very siloed in their operational responsibilities. So they don't necessarily got blinders on, so they don't see the end-to-end -end picture. And it, it would be even easier for me to say that as a statement if it weren't so bespoke by firm, because the blinders for how they do something in one particular role at one firm is very different than another, especially depending on their size. So if all the firms had behaved somewhat similarly, you could draw these conclusions in an open forum, but because they work in such bespoke manners and you know, you've got big firms with hundreds of people, thousands of people, and you've got other ones with only like five folks, 10 folks who've got to do it all, uh, it's hard to kind of point that out. So it is a misconception, that the, and even though it's a misconception, at the bare minimum, the lowest common denominator is they have to build an operational process to account for the for any of those gaps because technology may not be there. Then the idea is, do they have technology and, and can they design an end-to-end -end operational 
process that accounts for the technology to give them that strategic view. Because what happens with a lot of tech, it's band-aids in different parts of their operational process, and it just winds up to be part of their checklist as opposed to something that gives them more STP. Right. It's almost kind of like a, a false sense of security. Definitely. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what, I mean, I worked in some of these places. So I'll have a checklist and say, hey, we did all these things. And I remember um, not using names, but the firm had like 93,000 entities they had to remediate. And I showed them, look, at the rate we're going, you may be checking off the list, but we won't be done until the year 2032. Okay, perfect. So on LinkedIn, you recently shared a series looking at SSIs in great detail and specifically on the challenges that firms face. Can you walk us through those top five challenges that you mentioned there? I could. I think each would take quite a long time to walk through. But, you know, I think there's the definition of actually identifying an SSI that's unique. And, and I think I need to take I need to backtrack a little bit to explain why I think from a, from my firm's perspective, Sapphire's perspective, why we're looking at SSI differently. The world today, when they match trades, it's, it's kind of a best guess. And no one wants to admit that. And I know in our preview before, in our offhand discussions, we were talking about this a little bit, but you could have one buy-side firm do two trades with two brokers for the same security on the same trade date for the same trade notional, and you can mismatch them. And the way firms rationalize this in the finance industry is, well, if it's a million-dollar trade for that security and, for, and the same exact security, you have another million for the same day, it washes out. But then what happens, if you mismatch, you might be mapping the wrong SSI to be used for that account. And so the, the industry is very focused on uh, economic detail matching. Sapphire, because we, we're, we're looking at things from a pre-trade standpoint, how do you, and, and this is regardless of our platform, in general, the industry should be looking at how do we take advantage of things that, from the point of inception, not just digitize that information and client information, but create memory around it so that you don't have to do it again and remember it when it appears in post-trade. I think that's where we're, we're taking it. And if you understand that leap, then when we look at SSIs, we say, okay, do we know this is a traditional custodial SSI? Or is it a buy-side firm for this account using a prime broker's SSI? So typically, a, you know, a small investment manager might say, we, won't, we don't want to put the overhead to have people run the post-trade operations. We'll hire, even though we have a custodial account, we're going to hire a prime broker, but the SSIs look the same. And unless you actually read the Bitcode, and you know it's a, it's a different bank, and someone calls the buy side and says, well, what is this? You'll only know to use that SSI, the prime broker's SSI, in those transactions. So uh, Sapphire is defining uniqueness. We're distinguishing the business purpose, and we're ensuring account mapping so that you're not just guessing as to what needs to be used in terms of SSIs. Otherwise, there's a lot more to go into in, in, on, on that topic. Well, let me ask you the same question in a slightly different way then. When you go out and you talk to people about SSIs, what is the biggest hiccup with SSIs now? I think when they see a mismatch is they don't understand why it happened and they have to bother the client for it. And, and when this happens today, quite frankly, it's spreadsheet matching and getting on the phone or, and then someone sending an email and fixing the stuff. And if you send it in an email or fax or say it on the phone, you may update that information for that trade. And then someone at your firm, if you're the bank or if you're the broker who had to now update the SSI because it was incorrect, someone at the broker has to call the buy side client in a separate department or separate person that, that supplied it. So we want to make sure it's not Julia's checking account number and routing number, right? And that you're benefiting yourself. So how do we know? How do we check that? So that's called the, you know, the callback process. Mm -hmm. 
for the sell side in this scenario, the sheer volume of transactions in a T plus one environment where you have to rely on that is death by a thousand cuts. And so some of the things that we've been proposing is, is not only just defining the unique exercise and the correct purpose so you can map to the right ones, so you don't even get there to begin with. If you encounter that uh, situation, how do you create, how do you provide a real-time service in the cloud again, where both buy and sell sites see the economic details, understand the full context of the trade, see the exact exercise that's been provided and what's been ma- ma- mixed matched, and allow the buy side client to, in real time on the screen, with the sell side seeing it, change it, go through a maker checker authentication process, and there's six steps that, that we have identified to keep this unique. One of them is proprietary to, to our platform, but to actually allow the authentication so that the, the banks or the brokers can confidently accept that in a digital format, that SSI update, without doing the callback, eliminating the callback altogether. I think that's where the, the SDP process comes into full play because now you're doing a proactive method for, for cleaning up your SSIs. And then there's a reactive method for situations that fell through the cracks where you can work in a real-time manner because everyone talks T plus one, and they're saying, we got to work in a 24-hour period. But in re- reality, for you to perform what you need to do by end of day, T plus one, you need to work in a real-time environment for your operations teams. And you're only as good as your client or counterparty. So if your client and counterparty doesn't have that infrastructure, you got to provide it. This is, again, where cloud infrastructure can, can do that. So we talked about the first big challenge, which is SSIs. Moving on to the second one, what do you think, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge that firms face as they move to T plus one? So everyone got immediately excited when they heard about T plus one because it meant all the security-based activity in the U.S. and Canadian markets, which are essentially global markets. It's a global impact because India went T plus one already. The challenge there is by the time India's day closes, Europe and the U.S. are still awake, right? So you have time to process things. The The problem really is that the U.S. is at the very end of the entire global market. And at 4 p.m., yeah, you got to set up your trades. You got to you have three hours to submit your security-based trades. But the example I always give is if you're a European firm, your base currency is euros, and you buy Apple shares, but just getting this just an example, it's in the U.S. market that you're buying those shares. You got to convert those euros to U.S. dollars, okay? Now, T plus one only applies, again, to the securities-based trades, equities, and fixed income, but FX still can be T plus two. But in this case, your equity trade is going to fail if you don't convert the euro to the U.S. dollar by end of day. And there's this concept that some folks call as a witching hour, because after 4 p.m. New York time, not only is ultra security-based trading in stop, but the liquidity for FX is just non-existent. You know, until Singapore, Tokyo, Hong Kong wake up, you're not going to find best ex- execution on FX. And so your alternative is really the default to your custodian uh, to do the FX uh, repatriation automatically. And they're not known for giving the best uh, spreads in those circumstances. So I think that's the thing that's been glaring. CLS in Europe had been the stopgap. Unfortunately, in the case of CLS, as of right now, the official stance is 4 p.m. CET time, Brussels, Paris, whatever you want to call it, time. They're closed, so you can't even use CLS as an option. And and if you've actually done business in the U.S. market, until all your trades are done in the U.S. and Canada, you want to amalgamate all your trades for the day and do one FX block per currency pair that you need to to actually convert to and successfully settle your, your, your securities-based trades. So that has been the biggest glaring thing, and I think that's where there's an opportunity because some folks say, oh, well, you know, you got to default to your custodians. 
my take is there's going to be a liquidity market that's created out of this. There's demand. There's clearly a demand for FX liquidity after 4 p.m. And the first movers to make that happen are the ones that are going to seize that opportunity. You know, there's EMS platforms that, that actually help get best price, but it's, it's sleepy time for them after 4 p.m. New York time. Maybe they're, they're going to find that opportunity by working with their, their counterparts. So, and especially now that CLS, even though they're talking about extending their hours, there's still a challenge of what I shared earlier that, you know, at 4 p.m., you're going to submit your trades within three hours on the security basis. And only after you've done that and understand how you're going to allocate all your security-based trades, do you know which accounts you need to do the FX for, right? And which currency pairs. So with three hours to go, and assuming that no mistakes are made, to submit your trades, and then another three hours to affirm, you got to do the same thing for the FX. And you can see now where the manual process of doing this, again, buy sites, if you're a small hedge fund, maybe you got five accounts. Sell sites definitely can't do this. They're, they're just the sheer volume is where they're going to fall apart. And right now they're just throwing labor, but clearly it's an opportunity for, for tech here. And again, tech that actually remembers stuff from, from beginning to end to actually know, hey, how did you set up each of those allocated accounts? And, and then maybe what, what, what are the FX opportunities, the FX uh, uh, repatriation opportunities there to provide liquidity? And so when you talk to people about this particular challenge, what are they just throwing labor at it at this point in time? Or are they considering technology, as you just outlined, as a way to take advantage of the opportunity and also address the liquidity problem? I think what they're doing is there is labor that they're throwing at it, but it's more prearranged, prearrangements and prefunding, which is unattractive to these portfolio managers who want best execution. So you're, you're incurring more costs, never mind on the labor front, but you're not getting the best price for the FX. So the appetite is huge on the tech front, especially because of the time crunch. So it was different when you moved from T plus E to T plus two, because you still had another day where you can actually figure this all out and find liquidity. Now, the, the, the beauty of this is that Sapphire had been promoting and evangelizing real-time operational setups and operational maintenance. Now real-time maintenance needs to be present to, to say, okay, we've got an occurrence. How do we do this? How do we look at this? How do we have every account set up with our custodian? What do we do in terms of, you know, the repatriations with the custodians and what's left over that we got to cover to make sure we settle our trades? So the firm, there are firms that are talking to us now about being first movers. And, and I, think, I think this will happen because, again, there's money to be made. It's not just a cost efficiency play. This is, for, this is a competition for, for best execution. And even in some cases, we have, you know, there's custodians speaking to us about, hey, maybe we're going to create an offering that's more attractive so that they don't have to worry about the headache. If you just go ahead and not only custody your accounts with us, but my, do the FX for all your accounts end of day, we'll handle that headache for you. European firms who don't want to spend the extra money to create a presence in the U.S. or people working till midnight or past midnight European hours to track all this stuff, those are attractive options. And, and the automation, one more automation piece is you can actually do a layup where you auto-calculate all this stuff in advance, right? When the security-based trades are settled, you automatically know what FXs need to be done. Now you can actually have this, you know, already prearranged that way. When that, when that allocation, the calculation is done at 4 p.m., it automatically goes out for its FX execution. And that's one of the things that I always see in these industry initiatives, or sometimes even regulation, is that there's always an opportunity as well as the headache to get over the line, whether it's compliance, whether it's that or a T plus one initiative. So if I were to ask you in your seat, what do you think is the golden opportunity that T plus one is introducing for the industry? 
The golden opportunity is, again, real time for your operations. Uh, the word T plus one, I guess, connotates that now we work in a day period, but in reality, to work in a day period, you must work in real time in your operations. And uh, many times I've actually posed these problems to firms that we work with already and to new firms. And they say, yeah, yeah, we, we get it, but this one's okay right now. We're okay. And I've talked about the competitive advantages of actually working in a real time way where you can actually lower your cost maybe even lower your fees to draw more volume and grab more market share to come to you. Because the way it's been siloed to date is pre-trade, trading, post-trade. And most of the innovation and most of the investments have been made in trading and post-trade. Because that's where the volume is or the money is to be made. Because unless you settle on post-trade, you can't even make the money you made on the trades that you've executed on. But again, if you've actually remembered all this in pre-trade, a lot of the operational steps that you perceive needed to be done in post-trade don't need to be done any longer, if you remember it, that is. Uh, a, my brother makes a, an analogy that you can digitize documents in a filing cabinet into the cloud or into some platform, but you, if you still have to manually troll through it, it, it through a mouse, it makes no difference if it was a physical piece of paper or, or on a digital platform, unless you have memory on it to be able to recall for the circumstances automatically. And so that, I think that's a key nuanced detail. It's not enough to say, oh, we are digitized, but that we can actually remember and link it. And this is where that whole account mapping concept that I mentioned at the very top really matters. And, and again, we get from beginning to end. So you work in real time, you get real STP throughput. You don't need the labor, the massive amounts of labor to cover for this. And uh, you get real-time reconciliation of not just your trades, but all the client account data in perpetuity, in real time, again, between all parties. So they're all on the same page. You don't have someone that doesn't have the same infrastructure because now you're all in the cloud. So my final question for you is looking at our audience who they are operational professionals, people you deal with day to day out. What would you say to them if you met them for a coffee and they asked you, what should I really focus on now with T plus one? I mean, I think again, to be fair to them is they need to map out their strategy first for their operations. And I mean, and, and again, I'm going to encourage them highly to consider the pre-trade components of things because most of them are just thinking about how to run the post-trade component. But if you understand the bits of pre-trade that can fill through, then I think that that will provide benefits out of the box already. There's been a lot of times where I've actually seen epiphanies when I draw some of the things absent technology on how they're parallels between this. I'll, I'll give you one very quick example, sorry, because I think it's worth going down this little rabbit hole. In the FX world, there's something called admin bypass. The FX folks will actually know what this means, but it means like a big, large asset manager may be given permission to do block trades, and then they block, they, they'll, they'll, they'll allocate their trades to 10 funds underneath it, fund A, B, C, and fund C was brand new. They just brought it on today. So they will hold, uh, traditionally, you would hold a, the whole block trade until you allocate that one fund. But what happens now is some of these sell-side firms have to onboard that fund within 24 hours, and they go through that process. That's a pre-trade activity that's going on in post-trade. And there's information that you can actually ring so that you can actually uh, save efficiencies. So again, you take examples like this where firms can actually come up with their, their target operating model, and then they stress test this in the context of T plus one, then you take the tech and apply it. What happens is firms take tech and then they're like, oh, how do we rejigger all this, right? So, and there's a lot of stuff that actually can help solve this. Plenty of solutions on the street already. You know, I would argue there's, there's only a few unique ones that can do the pre to post trade component. 
But I think that's the, the first best advice you can give anyone is come up with a targeted operating model and then stress test that for, for specific scenarios uh, that you, because I'm pretty sure by now at this point, most firms have uh, tested the sunny day scenarios with T plus one. And then, then I would encourage them to, to reach out to vendor solutions that are out there. You know, I, I mentioned I worked at several banks before and I used to think, you know, when I worked at JP Morgan, for example, everything worked like JP Morgan. Then I worked at a consortium and I saw multiple banks working completely differently. It was eye-opening. And so by working with external vendors who have that horizontal view, it will actually give you some, I guess, ability to draw parallels between the work that you're doing and they're doing to come up with the best solution. And then I will also encourage folks to, to come check out the work that we're doing for T plus one around Project Zero on our website, you know, www.sapphire.com forward slash Project Zero. And we go through all the stuff around SSIs, around the allocation issues, around the trade exception management or mismatches on SSIs. And then again, we're actually working with other technology partners for how they work with us to, to kind of solve the issues for our common clients. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and insight with us today in the podcast. I much appreciated. Thanks for having me. So listeners, thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the topic and learned a lot. We do have more information via our podcast show notes page, which you can find on derivsource.com. We'll include information about Sapphire as well as Project Zero there, so you can go there for more information. Otherwise, please listen to the podcast on various different podcasting channels, including Apple and Spotify, or you can also find it on derivsource.com. Thank you so much for joining us and see you next time.